Hello and welcome to Better Construction with Sean McStay, the podcast where we discuss design and construction techniques, products, and details that lead to a better built environment. All right, and welcome to this week's episode of Better Construction. This week, I'm very pleased to have with me Aaron Miller. Aaron is the CEO and co-owner of Hummingbird Hill Homes in Ontario well-known in the high-performance construction industry in that area, and I'm really excited to learn from him how his company has transitioned into working mostly, I think, now on high-performance homes. So, Aaron, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks, Sean. Pleasure to be with you. So, I was uh, looking through your LinkedIn profile, doing a little bit of research as I always do, and it looks like to me, at least, that you've come into the construction industry from kind of an, a, a unique background. So maybe tell us a little bit about who you are and, and how you got started in the construction side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so through high school, through university, um, you know, certainly worked in the construction industry. But back in the, uh, the times where, where I finished uh, uni- um, high school, the mindset was really, you go to university, um, you get a degree, you know, you sort of work in a so-called white collar job was, was the mindset. So off to university, I went um, to get a degree and landed in uh, a completely unrelated uh, corporate uh, world um, in the healthcare sector, actually. Did, did really well for about 15 years, um, you know, throughout Canada and actually was uh, had the opportunity to move down to the States for a few years and uh, work in the corporate headquarters. Yeah, about in 2009, I uh, had an opportunity. Uh, one of my very uh, best friends is an architect here in Toronto and um, have built uh, a number of times with, with him and uh, had an opportunity to, um, to begin sort of the, uh, the journey with Hummingbird Hill Homes. Very interesting. Yeah, so definitely kind of coming back into something that you had a lot of experience in. With your company, Hummingbird Hill Homes, there's a lot of focus on high-performance construction, and whether that be Net Zero or Energy Star, Passive House. I mean, I believe you guys are a certified Passive House builder as well. How did that kind of come about as a company focus for you? I think I, I, I kind of joke that I'm a engineer trapped in a builder's body. And I, and I, I think um, it's probably a common trait amongst builders that, uh, that build high performance or are passionate about sort of building sustainably or, or um, just a better quality home. So, um, you know, recognized early on that, you know, high performance and, and whatever high performance means to, to people is sometimes a bit different. But for me, it was really just about building it to the best of my ability. And um, that sort of requires you to really take a, uh, an, uh, an appreciation and an understanding towards the whole concept around sustainability. And it also, for me, and I think this will be a little bit unique, is we're um, uh, well AP certified as well. So we've really started to move towards the relationship between the built environment and human health and wellness as well. So I think, you know, the uh, motivation, I guess, to to build high performance was really just in that, you know, it it is the right thing to do from a building science standpoint, the research points to it. And and yes, I mean, I I am, uh, you know, concerned about the environment 
as I think everyone should be. But, but really the motivating factor, Sean, is really just to sort of build it the way it should be built in the, in the right kind of fashion. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm completely in agreement with you there. Uh, I think the the challenge that people will run into uh, sometimes is that they feel like building to those types of standards can kind of push them up out of the market a little bit price wise. How have you guys kind of convinced your clients of the importance of working to these types of standards when when it can sometimes cost uh, a little bit more? Yeah, I think for for us, you know, I think it's just part of our our brand at this point. It's part of the experience that people come to Hummingbird Hill because, um, you know, they do want a quality built uh, home or environment. It's certainly, it's an interesting conversation once we start talking about the incremental cost to build high performance. And I think once you once you sort of agree that these are just standard, certain amount of standard features, uh, the incremental cost is actually, from my standpoint, is is pretty minimal to address some some fundamental high performance criteria. I'll give you an example: is um, air leakage of the of the envelope is is something that uh, you know we're quite passionate about, and and you really just have to have an informed framing skill set to pay attention to a few details and a few transitions that really, I mean, it's, it's the incremental cost is uh, potentially the material you use for sheathing and some liquid flashing at some certain seams will have a dramatic impact on your air sealing uh, results, uh, air leakage results. So, um, you know, everyone is different. I think for us, the, the standard is marginally um, incremental from a cost standpoint, and then for people that are looking to go passive house, or or you know certainly uh, more along those lines, yes, obviously there's a bit more of an incremental cost. Okay, and so where then? I'm curious where you kind of land on the spectrum of the question of whether these types of performance standards in our buildings should be codified, or whether these should be voluntary standards that it's kind of optional for people to to take on or not take on. Yeah, that's a it's a great question, John. I think, I, you know, personally, I think they should be codified, as you as you say, and I think they will be. I think eventually, you know, things are a bit different in Ontario um, than than um, some of the other provinces, uh, but the government has kind of made it clear that, uh, you know, the, the the building code is going to change in one direction as it relates to energy efficiencies and that's and that's upwards right we're we're going to make things more efficient politics aside and all of that fun stuff i'm sure there are sort of powerful uh organizations that want to slow that process down but i do believe it's just a matter of time before you know we really start paying attention to uh to some of these details that can kind of have a dramatic impact on on um, high performance, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you completely. I think uh, for me, I understand both sides of that argument, and I've you know obviously been involved in conversations where people are are coming from both sides of that, uh, concerned about affordability and concerned about uh, the ability for people to get into housing in certain markets, especially in Canada, Toronto being one of them, Vancouver, where I'm near, being another one of them. But then comparing and contrasting that with the idea that we're building buildings that we know are less healthy for the people living in them than they could be. 
And, you know, that's theoretically what code is supposed to be. It's supposed to be there to protect the health of the occupants of the building. And we're, we're very good at that when it comes to structural and, you know, most of new code buildings are not going to fall on us. Um, and they're generally, we're not going to, you know, you know, have any impact from being, you know, terribly cold or terribly warm or, you know, the extremes. But this idea of your home being more comfortable seems to be kind of slowly catching on with more people. My question for you is with the experience that everyone's going through right now with with COVID and being in our homes and our buildings more often than maybe we were before, do you think that's going to impact people's thinking to how they look at their project when they approach somebody to build a house? I do. I do. I think, you know, just my own personal uh, experience, I'm, I'm actually busier now post-COVID than I was pre-COVID. And I think it is, you know, it's, it's partially people have just spent, you know, a, a lot more time than they normally do inside their homes and staring at uh, walls that they, that they don't like. But, um, but it's also, I'm getting a lot of questions about, you know, indoor air quality and, you know, starting to, to look at kind of like you mentioned, a very holistic approach to to a home, um, you know, I, I always use the saying that, you know, we, we experience our built environments with all five of the human senses, and yet the vast majority um, design and build their homes using just one, right, which is what they're going to see. And I think, you know, clients, homeowners, designers, architects, I think we're becoming more educated as it relates to the the building science research and data that's coming out that's showing us that you really you, you know it, it makes sense if you if you're going to experience your home or your office or your or whatever built environment it is holistically with all five senses then let's then let's kind of design and build towards that so you know for for us we have a process where we kind of it's, it's easy to relate for homeowners where you, you use the five senses to start talking about um, sustainable slash health and wellness uh, aspects of their home. And, and, you know, for smell, that's exactly it is indoor air quality. Let's have a conversation about, you know, indoor air quality as it relates to what materials are being used in your house as a, as a source um, conversation. Um, let's talk about uh, the mechanical ventilation of that of that air, and then also let's talk about the filtration of that air. And it's it's we don't even pay attention to the to the to the filter quality or the or the MERV standards on on the filters that we put on a lot of these multi million dollar custom homes. But not that it has to be a multi million dollar on any home. Um, and COVID, I think, is starting to make people realize that. Yeah, we have to pay attention to, you know, how do we how do we purify air um, in the in the places that we spend uh, an enormous amount of our time in, which is obviously our home. That makes a lot of sense to me. Certainly, I think I really like the idea of looking at it from all from five senses rather than one, because I completely agree with you. People will when they're looking at building a home, they will often you know look at the finishes and those types of things that they can see and not really pay attention to what having a drafty house makes them feel like and and how that impacts their quality of life. So that makes a lot of sense. For you then, when customers come in, uh, tell me a little bit about the process that you go through with them uh, when they're looking at uh, building their home with you. Yeah, it, it depends on 
on on how we've received the the homeowner. Sometimes it's a referral from an architect, um, and it can be in sort of your very formal, traditional, um, you know, design bid build process where the design is already done. Uh, they're just in a in a bidding process, um, so you're kind of trying to swim upstream in that in that kind of environment uh, with the client and 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 have these conversations about sustainability and high performance and and health and wellness in the built environment. Um, ideally, you know, we do lunch and learns with with our architects around here, and that's been our latest topic. Uh, of course, pre COVID. Um, is really talking about the benefits of an integrated project delivery where we as builders can be sort of at, at, uh, involved at an earlier stage um, instead of having these sort of, I call them knowledge dumps um, of the entire design process sort of dumped on our lap um, and, then, and then sort of told to go and build the home. So if we can be involved earlier on and what we do when we have that opportunity for more of an integrated approach is, and again, we're not a design firm. I have no interest in designing. Uh, my job is really execution. But what we'll do is, is even bring in, and we've done this, is bring in some of our subtrades into an earlier meeting to talk about. Because I, you know, I always say this to, to people, how many times are you on site as a builder and you hear your plumber or your electrician or HVAC contractors say why on earth did they do it this way it could have been so much better if we had done it like this well why don't we take that knowledge and that experience and that training and bring it forward to sort of the design stage uh, as an added value for homeowners so that's the ideal scenario for us is, is kind of a more of an integrated approach um, we we walk through you know the the, the company when we're meeting with clients as it relates to what is our what does our brand represent what is our brand promise to you as a client as a homeowner um, and it really does evolve around kind of having conversations around exactly this right sustainability health and wellness um, and just building a better quality home yeah I mean I know for me in my line of work with with Sega the worst phone call I get is a builder calls and says yeah we need to make this house airtight and I say, okay, great. You know, do you have plans you can send over? And it's like, well, I'll come to the site. You know, we're we're midway through framing, yeah. and you know, it's just you know, there's there's so many things we could have done if we were involved earlier to reduce costs, reduce time. I mean, uh, you know, sell theoretically, I guess, less product, but that's 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 not the goal. The goal isn't to sell as much as possible. The goal is we have an airtight house for a reasonable price. Right. And so your point of, you know, getting as many of the sub trades involved as early as possible. I think that's really valuable for people who are starting out with this. A lot of the feedback I get from my listeners, uh, I, quite lucky. I have quite a wide listener base across North America. And in many of these places, these high performance homes are, are extremely rare. And so someone listening to this is you know, potentially going to be working on their very first airtight building or their first uh, passive house. When you look at someone like that, do you have any tips or ideas or concepts that you would really try to pass on to somebody who's maybe starting out on their first high performance project? Outside of what we talked about with regards to think about it really with all five of the, of the senses and, and take a very holistic approach to it. You know, there's some key aspects and you just mentioned it, you know, framing is, is such a critical component to really building kind of the platform for high performance in a lot of ways. Um, 
so, you know, finding a framing crew that understands high performance and um, is, is also involved in the verification of the performance. Here's a, here's an, you know, I'm not sure what, what you guys are seeing in BC, but it still boggles my mind here in Ontario that, you know, we're doing, um, you know, once your, once your exterior envelope is, is beyond 22% glass, you're required to do uh, an energy model. So your mechanical engineer will do an energy model basically in a vacuum. They're going to assume a bunch of parameters such as air leakage rates, such as passive solar heat gain, which is, which is great. I, I, ideally, you want your builder, I would tell your, your um, listeners, you want your builder involved with those conversations with the mechanical engineer, especially because if you don't, the mechanical engineers here typically will use a nominal value for air leakage as an example of, of upwards around three air exchanges per hour. And, and we are confident that we can get that, you know, much closer to one or, or less with some very just standard details that, that we do, which has a huge impact on your energy loads and, and your mechanical system, right? And so the other part that really boggles my mind is not only will they just choose nominal settings for a lot of these parameters, but there's no verification on site. There's nothing that says, okay, we've chosen a, you know, a 1.5 air exchange per hour leakage rate. And now we're going to do a blow door test and verify that that was actually achieved and or ensure that it was achieved so that we're not oversized or undersized in our mechanical systems, which impacts thermal comfort, right? Yeah, I guess it comes back, sorry for the long-winded answer, but it comes back to having a collaborative team up front, architect, builder, mechanical engineer, structural engineer, interior design, you know, the more you can kind of include that as a collaborative team working towards a high-performance objective, the better. There's no doubt in my mind you end up with a better result. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me as well. I think the the more collaborative of a process that you get, certainly the better the result is going to be. But it also, like you were kind of alluding to, it prevents under or overbuilding in certain details and assemblies that are, isn't necessary. You know, with your air tightness example, if they're planning for three or, or so and you're really doing one, they're over insulating or over requiring for window requirements. And that all adds costs that doesn't need to be there. And the exact same is, op- is true on the opposite side. If they're planning for three and someone's building the five and a half, then, you know, it's under insulated buildings. So yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. yeah and your mechanical system is, is completely misaligned with what's required of, of the actual structure, right? And, um, all the, uh, the issues with, with that. So yeah. So for you, you know, having been around the construction industry for quite a number of years now, I'm always curious to hear what do you think is going to change over the next five to 10 years? Do you think there are any uh, significant differences to how buildings are built or the technologies used in them that are going to be coming into play? Yeah, I think we're certainly preparing for and, and kind of mobilizing ourselves around the concept of uh, panelization, for sure. We're, we're looking at, um, you know, this year actually doing our first panelized custom home. I think mass timber is, is another um, area that I think we're going to start to see a lot more involvement, sort of, um, you know, the, the replacement of 
concrete and steel with with wood with CLTs with glue lamps. I think that's going to become uh, more prevalent. And I think for us, you know, one of the things we decided a couple of years ago is, you know, construction is ripe for innovation. I think we've been doing the same thing for so long. Um, and in a lot of ways as an industry, and I have experience in a different industry that was actually very open to innovation and, and construction is it's kind of like we've got the blinders on, right? And it's, this is how you were trade, uh, trained. This is, this is how you do it. And, and it's kind of like you, you, you close your mind to innovation. What we did a couple of years ago that might be a bit different than most as a residential custom home builder is we converted all of our project management systems to BIM 360. And we actually have two people in-house that, that do Revit models. So we originally were trying to convince architects to design in Revit, um, but that was, that was a bit difficult. So we just bit the bullet and made a, an investment in being able to take an AutoCAD file, a 2D AutoCAD file, and build the model in Revit for construction purposes, not for design purposes. And what that's allowed us to do now is a few things that I think from an innovation standpoint is the way of the future. The first is real-time cost estimating. So as we bring, build the model, we're actually being able to kind of provide real-time costing that is interactive too, because if clients have a particular budget and it prices out more than what they were hoping to spend, now we can have, again, a very collaborative discussion that provides them a visual of the changes as well. I'll give the example of, you know, if a, if a standing seam metal roof is, is specced in the architectural drawings and we need to now cut X amount of dollars, we can, with the clients and the architect in the room, um, change it from a standing seam metal roof to, to an asphalt shingle roof. They can see it visually, but then they also can see the price implications um, from a costing standpoint. So I think, I think that is, has been hugely beneficial. Um, the model also allows us to do our own energy modeling. So we become much more engaged with the mechanical engineers as well, so that we're not only giving input as to what we believe we can achieve with a lot of the parameters that they need for their heat loss calculations and, and various um, model inputs, um, but we can verify it too on site. All right. And, and I think that that's going to be, you know, huge as it relates to sustainability and, and thermal comfort. What it's also allowed us to do is, is begin the panelization process, too. So now with the Revit models, we can optimize a panel strategy, have those built in a factory and ship to site as well. So, so it's allowed us, again, I think it's just the, being open to sort of a very innovative um, technology platform. And we've tied it in with our site supervisors now have the checklists on site, the integration of, of, you know, architecture, engineering, and construction is just seamless with these types of platforms. So that, that is sort of a big one. Yeah, that's a big step, especially on the residential side. That's not something I see very often at all. You know, on the commercial side, you know, you're starting to see a lot more of those types of systems being used, obviously. But in residential, I mean, for all the reasons you listed, huge benefits. Uh, but, you know, a bit of a learning curve as well. But obviously, you know, your company is uh, kind of ready to jump into things a little bit earlier than most from uh, everything I've seen so far. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, you know, it's, it, you're absolutely right. It is a learning curve. It is an investment up front. 
but the the savings is is in our efficiencies on site. Um, we're, we're in essence pre-building the home digitally before we build it literally on site, and so it just takes a very traditionally reactive process and makes it very proactive, right? So that we can run the clash detections, we can sit down with the architects and designers and and sort out sort of details that, that need to be sorted out instead of having your site conditions, uh, which we all know is costly, both from a schedule and a, and a budget standpoint. So it's, it's, you know, I think it's a, it's a, it was a no brainer for us, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's still pretty rare on the residential side. Well, and I love the idea of it as a communication tool with your client as well, um, yeah. because quite often when you know, homeowners are thinking about building and, and you know, they think about, oh, these change orders and these costs, and they don't fully understand exactly what that means for them to make that decision versus with this very easily laid out for them. So that, that makes a ton of sense. As I'm getting towards the end of, of these podcasts, I typically ask two questions. So most of the listeners are, are always primed for those. Uh, the first one is a bit of a fun question. And it's if you could change any one misconception about better construction, what would it be? If I could change one misconception about better construction, I think it's, it's people just have this, this wrong notion that it's you know, 10, 20, 30% more expensive. Um, I think if you build it into just how you do things and, and, you're, and you've surrounded yourself with trades that know how to execute these details efficiently and effectively, you, the, you know, the, the cost conversation kind of goes by the, the wayside um, would be kind of my, my big one. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. I've heard that one uh, from a few other people as well. Yeah, uh, so it seems to be a popular choice, but I, I 100% agree with it. The last question always is, and it's a personal interest question for me because I love books and I collect them. Uh, but if you could recommend any one book, personal or professional, uh, which one would it be right now? Good question. Which book would I recommend? It's funny. It's taken. This is just a, a personal pleasure book, but it, it's taken. My wife has been telling me I had to read this book for years now, and I'm finally reading it. So it's the one that's popping into my mind. But it's it's literally just a. It's a sit on the the porch and read is um, racing in the rain. So it's it's purely a, a pleasure book <laughs> by any means. But yeah. oh, interesting, cool. Yeah, it sounds interesting for sure. Good. All right, Aaron. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time being on the show. For everyone listening and watching, I'm going to put links to Aaron's company page and social media in the description below and also with the uh, podcast description. And with that, Aaron, have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Sean. You too.